Thank you so much, Garrett. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. And this evening, we will be looking at verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. When you hear the word viral in our day, it is often associated with viruses, most notably COVID-19 or any of the other variations of it. I don't even know how many there are these days. Or in conjunction, we hear it with videos or memes that are passed over and over on the internet. Some of them, I have no idea why they've gone viral. Videos of cats playing the piano, dogs doing strange things, people doing strange and odd things. And yet, these videos of cats and dogs and people, they will get sometimes billions upon billions of views. Not sure what that means, if we're just that bored or if they're really that entertaining. Uh, in our text this evening, we'll see another, an example of that word viral. And what the word viral means is this mean when something spreads rapidly. But this time it's not viruses, it's not memes, it's not videos, it's the gospel. I want to read to you at the end of our text here this evening from Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And this continued for two years, and this being Paul's gospel ministry in Ephesus. We later learn in Acts chapter 20 that all in all, Paul was there for three years. But here it says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Pay attention to that. All the residents, all. All means all. Means a lot of people. All the residents of Asia. Now, this is probably not Asia as we know it. It's not Asia as we know it. It's probably consolidated primarily to Turkey, Western Turkey, because this is where Paul is at at that time. But even so, this would be a lot of people if we take into account even the, the seven churches that would eventually exist in Asia Minor that you can read about in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, that would add up to about 673,000 people. And in verse 10, it says that, so all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. If that's not viral, I don't know what is. And as we think about 673,000 people heard God's word, let's think about in our context, in our town. In 2019, a census was done, and there were an estimated 273,000 people that call Bryan College Station home. Now, if we go back to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, where it says all the residents of Asia heard... This happened in a time where there was no technology, where there was no means of efficient transportation. And yet, north of 650,000 people, probably more, heard the word of the Lord. 
I'm still amazed in, in our town when, when I go around even close proximity to where we meet and even at our land and as we're doing things like the work day and as we're just our prayer rocking and we knock on doors and we get in conversations with people, there are still people in our own town who have never heard the name Jesus. There are people in our town that don't know what the gospel is. And think about that. We're living in Texas, the Bible Belt. Where I, I was teasing with somebody earlier, when, when you're born and you live in Texas, you, you get an American flag, you get a Texas flag, you get a Bible. You just, it seems, because it seems like, why do I say that? Because it seems like so many people, or at least claim to know who Jesus is. They claim to have a relationship with God. And yet what we'll see in our text tonight is that Paul comes across some people who, who believe, and yet I think what we'll see is they don't necessarily belong to God. And that is the same thing that we see here. And yet in that day, there came a time, for however brief it was, that everybody had heard the word of the Lord. What a remarkable just tidbit of information right there. May that be so in our community. And what God does in this text in verses 1 through 10 is he shares with us how this happens. And we've been seeing this week after week after we've gone through this book of Acts. That again, that it's very much the same. Just It's uh, the same person or the same people, just a different place. There's no new strategy. It's sticking to God's word. It's submitting to his spirit and trusting in God to do the work. And this is what we, again, what we see in this text. We see a faithfulness of men submitted and committed to gospel ministry. And so what I want us to see in this text tonight, I want us to be encouraged I want us to be encouraged again that we have everything that we need, everything necessary to be faithful to God now, to, to, be, to preach his word, and to experience results. The big idea that I want us all to keep in mind is this, is that God has empowered his people for sharing the gospel and preparing others for gospel ministry. God has empowered his people for sharing the gospel and preparing others for gospel ministry. And we'll see this power at work. There's a word in verse 8 that I think really highlights just really, I think, but summarize the ministry of Paul, and it's boldly. That Paul, he boldly, he preached in the synagogue. And so tonight we're going to talk about that spiritual boldness, that empowerment that God gives to us. And as we work our way through these texts, there's three things that we're going to see and draw from this, that God has empowered us, his people for sharing the gospel and preparing others for gospel ministry. First, we'll see that God has empowered us with spiritual boldness. Second, we'll see that spiritual boldness helps us with our sharing of the gospel. And three, we'll see that spiritual boldness helps us with our preparing others for gospel ministry. And so let me read to you verses one through 10, and then we will continue to look at this text together. And it happened 
that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, and when he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took his disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. Again, three things that I want us to see tonight. God has empowered us with spiritual boldness. Spiritual boldness helps us to share the gospel. And spiritual boldness helps us with our preparing for gospel ministry. First, let's spend a few minutes just talking about spiritual boldness, what it is and what it's not. I want to clear up for you any misunderstanding there may be around boldness, which is why I use the phrase spiritual boldness, because there is a difference. There is a spiritual boldness that the Holy Spirit gives to us. We put our faith and trust in Christ, but there is a worldly boldness that somewhat resembles uh, the spiritual boldness that we have in Christ. They come from different sources. Again, worldly boldness, it's tainted by the flesh. It is usually characterized by being driven or being outspoken. You can sometimes maybe be described as a person that's like a bull in a china shop. But there's, and there's nothing wrong with, with being driven and there's nothing wrong with being outspoken just as long as it's tied to the Spirit of God. Uh, worldly, uh, giving somebody just a piece of your mind because you are frustrated, that is not boldness. That is foolishness. Because anybody, if that's what boldness is, then anybody can do that. Anybody can give somebody a piece of their mind. Anybody can just be rude, be obnoxious. Anybody can raise their voice. And yes, may there be times where we need to raise our voice. May there be times where we may be misunderstood as we're sharing the truth of God's word. But at its core, spiritual boldness is not rude. It's not obnoxious. It comes really not from the mind. It comes from the heart. It's motivated by mercy 
It's motivated by God's majesty. It's motivated by his grace. And it causes us to speak. It compels us to tell, to share, because we care. Remember, worldly boldness does not come from a good place, whereas spiritual boldness does. The boldness that we see in this text and every other text that we look at in the book of Acts, this boldness comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, boldness that we speak of here tonight is not a personality trait. Think about Peter. Peter was known as being a man that sometimes put his foot in his mouth as being brash, probably a little obnoxious as we, as we study the text or as we study the scripture. And yet, Sometimes Peter was bold. In fact, we we see this early on in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4. Where where Peter spoke clearly and confidently uh, in the face of fear, the truth concerning who Christ was. The boldness that we have in Christ can make even the introvert speak, the timid talk. And so it matters not what your personality type is, whether you say you're shy or not. In fact, the the shy could be bold. And the perceived boldness that we see as somebody being extroverted and outspoken, they could actually be rather foolish at times. But it's the Spirit of God that will determine that. And this is word that shows us that. The spiritual boldness that we'll look at tonight that we see in Paul's life, you could define it this way. It is a Christ-centered power that is evidenced by a compelling conviction, compassionate communication, and a courage to continue to choose Christ no matter the cost. I'll say that one more time. The spiritual boldness that we're looking at tonight is this. It's a Christ-centered power that is evidenced by compelling conviction, compassionate communication, and a courage to continue to choose Christ no matter the cost. Now, we think about spiritual boldness. This is a theme that runs throughout the book of Acts. It is mentioned in Acts 4.13, 4.29, 4.31, 9.27, 9.28, Acts 13.46, and 28.31. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 times we see this theme of boldness show up in the book of Acts. And it's describing here in our text this evening the manner in which Paul carried out his ministry. If you remember verse 8, it says that he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. The word boldly here in this text, what it means is a freedom to speak, to speak freely with confidence, to show assurance. When he talks about the kingdom of God, what does that mean? What is he speaking about? In in a broad sense, the the kingdom of God, it, it means... God's rule and reign over the universe. 
But in a much narrower sense, this means God's rule and reign over the hearts and lives of individuals who put their faith and trust in Christ. And how do we become aware of that? By the communicating the gospel. This is how we become aware of who God is. We become aware of his character, aware of his holiness, aware of his power, aware of his plan, aware of the problem that plagues us all, that being our sin. And this is what Paul is doing. He is going again. He is following his pattern of ministry. He finds himself once again in the synagogue. And up until this point, we know how things have gone with him in the synagogue, right? By now. If you've been here for any length of time, you know it normally never goes well for Paul once he enters the synagogue and once he boldly begins to preach God's word. Why? Because most likely what he's doing is he's challenging the tradition. He's challenging the upbringing of the, of the Jews in the synagogue. He's getting personal and into, the, into their lives. And this is what the gospel does, friend. It probes you. It knows you. It knows the problem and is trying to help you see the problem as well. Expose the problem and show you the solution. And this is what the gospel does. It shows you the problem that plagues your life, which is sin. But at the same time, it doesn't leave you there without the answer, without the solution, without the hope. The hope being trusting and putting your faith in Christ. And these were hard words for Jews to swallow. Because up until this time, they are still waiting on the Messiah to come, but he's come and his name is Jesus. And Paul was committed to sharing this message boldly wherever he went. And this is just the latest example of him doing it. So, so why do we need spiritual boldness? We need spiritual boldness because we are in a spiritual war. And as spiritual people, God has called us as his children to walk in spiritual ways. And one of the ways that we need to walk in as children of God is in spiritual boldness. And friend, if you're in Christ, that boldness is in you. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. He brings awareness to your life. He brings conviction to your life. He leads your life. He helps you recall the spiritual truths in Scripture. He helps you give an answer of the hope that lies within. Everything that God has called you and I to do, God has supplied the necessary help to do it well, to do it faithfully. That's good news. What I'm trying to tell you, that it's not up to you, in a sense, to save people. But friends, it is our duty. It should be our delight to tell people. And this is what moved this man who was persecuted everywhere that he went. 
even till his death, boldly proclaiming the word of God. Friends, we need to walk in spiritual boldness. And the good news for us, if you're in Christ, that boldness is present within you in the form of the Holy Spirit. But it's not something that's supposed to stay in us. It's supposed to come out of us in the way that we live and the way that we speak. And this is what we see when we examine the life of the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And frankly, anyone else that's mentioned in the book of Acts that's doing God's work. We see a boldness that characterizes their life. Second, we we see this. Not only has God empowered us with spiritual boldness, but how this boldness, it helps us with the sharing of the gospel. Why do we need boldness when we share the gospel? Because if we share it faithfully, at some point, it's going to offend somebody. It's going to make somebody upset. Now, I don't know about you, but you should know this by me now. I don't like to make people mad. I don't want people to be upset with me. I'm always looking for a way, how can I deliver difficult information in a way that comes across where it feels good, right? I can spend time just making sure I don't elevate my voice too much. (laughs) Or if I just say the right words. But guess what? If you're sharing God's word faithfully, whether your tone is low and soft and you use whatever the right words are, it will offend a heart that's far from God. And may you remember, and this is hard to remember in the moment, that when we're faithfully and boldly proclaiming God's word, sometimes we take it too personal. May you remember that their offense with the revealed word of God It's not with you. It's ultimately with God. Yeah, they have to listen to you now. But one day, for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, they will appreciate that you took time with them to share the message. Why? Because all of us will appear before God one day. And we'll give an account of what we did with the truth that was revealed to us concerning Christ. And may we all remember that there is no excuse that we can give that God will justify and allow us to enter into heaven. We all come to God the same way through Christ. There's no other way. And we can't back down from this. We, we, we can't apologize for this no matter what anyone says, no matter what name they may call you. And this is where boldness will come in handy. Again, what boldness being that compelling conviction, something that we believe to our core, which is true. That compassionate communication. We, because we believe and we know that people, when they die, that they will stand and give account before God, we should be moved to action. Friends, what moves us to action as we talk about, again, gospel sharing, is not guilt. Guilt will not 
provide any sustainable long-term action of us going. The only thing that's going to motivate us to go is God's mercy, is his grace. We go because of God's grace. We are moved because of his mercy. And this is why Paul is moved. This is why he goes where he goes. This is why he puts up what he puts up with. Why he goes through everything that he goes through. If you need a refresher in some of the pains and tribulation and trials of his life, you can read about it in the book of Corinthians. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 4, where he talks about, I know what it means to be hungry. I know what it means to be full. I know what it means to be cold or to be warm. Yet in all of that, it is not the food or my clothing that gives me strength. It's Christ. And when somebody rejects you, our strength doesn't come by how they respond to your faithful proclamation of his word. Our strength comes from our Savior, serving him faithfully, being committed to the mission that God has called us to. And we need spiritual boldness to accomplish this. And this is what Paul does. Notice what he does as we look at verse 1 here in chapter 19. It says, while that Apollos was in Corinth, as we remember last week, Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila to continue on with the ministry. And he's moved on to Ephesus. Uh, This is a place that he wanted to be. But at the time, the Spirit of God, I believe in Acts chapter 16, permitted him not to go there. But now he's able to go there. We pick up Paul here in his third missionary journey in the important ancient city of Ephesus, a city that was densely populated between 250,000 and 300,000 people. It had one of the ancient wonders of the world in its town, uh, the, the temple of Artemis. It was a happening place. People knew about Ephesus. And this is where Paul is at. And what does he do when he gets there? It says that he went about looking for people. Specifically, it seems to be that he is looking for would-be disciples. And it says at the end of verse 1, as he came to the inland and came to Ephesus, he found some disciples. Now, that word disciple, what it means, it means learner or pupil. And as people, we can be a learner, a pupil, a student of many things. We can be influenced by many things, following many things. There's many things perhaps that shape our lives. And so what Paul does, as he comes in... Uh, to Ephesus, and he comes across some people that perhaps they resemble that of being disciples. I didn't know, Dr. Luke doesn't share with us how he knows that they are disciples. Maybe it came up in conversation. Maybe it came up by this, the way they were carrying themselves. 
or people pointed them, say, hey, these guys are, are really serious about what they believe. I don't know how they made this, um, how they decided or discerned that they were disciples. But Luke says, hey, that they were disciples. And so as Paul got together with them, notice Paul's approach and sharing the gospel with them, how he, he starts off by just asking them a couple of questions. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so he, he, what do they say in response? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that's problematic. If we think one of Paul's letters to the in Romans, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not believe, does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. Now, there's much debate over what, what, if these men are, are in Christ or not amongst some scholars. Because, again, this is a unique time, uh, period, uh, where the Holy Spirit is now just arriving on the scene. And yet there's, when you look, when you compare these men to the men that we looked at last week, there are some differences between Apollos and these guys. Remember, Apollos was preaching accurately the name of Jesus. He was said to be fervent of the Spirit. He just had the wrong baptism. He, was, he had followed John's baptism. Again, baptism does not save. We know this, or at least we hope, I hope you know this. Baptism is a symbol. It's a sign. It's an outward declaration of something that Christ has done on the inside. It's what we do as Christians when we're identifying with Jesus. We, we are baptized because we belong. Because we say Christ is Lord. Because we say he's Savior. We don't get baptized, then he becomes Savior, then he becomes Lord. We get baptized because he is Lord. Because he is the Savior. And he's asked us to follow him and to obey him. And so, listen, if you're here tonight and you say that you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized. Not because I'm telling you, because God's word says it. And you should do it. You should want to do it. You should want to declare to everyone in your church family and to anyone else who would be present, hey, that I am not ashamed of Christ, that I want to follow him, that I want to submit to him, and I'm committed to following him. And so, so Paul, he, he asked him first, hey, you know the Holy Spirit? And they're not even aware of the Holy Spirit. Well, then he follows it up with another question. What does he say? He says, into what? Then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Again, we saw this last week with Apollos. This is probably rampant within the early church as it's just beginning. And then Paul in verse 4 said this, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come, and that is Jesus. It's not that John's baptism was wrong, 
Because Jesus is ba- the baptism in Jesus is a baptism of repentance. But Christian baptism, again, is identifying with Jesus. John's baptism was preparing people for the baptism for, for the one who was to come, the Messiah, the Savior, God's anointed chosen one. And so Paul, he explains to them what baptism is. And upon hearing that that their baptism that they had done and were trusting in was not sufficient, it says in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, how did these guys find Christ? They heard it from someone else. So important that we open our mouths, that we share. And then it says in verse 6, something that sometimes brings confusion. So I want to try to bring some clarity for us all on this. In verse 6, it says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. Now, a lot of times when we come across verse 6, there are certain denominations that will use this verse to say, hey, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, one of the immediate byproducts and fruit, if you really got it or not, is if you speak in tongues. If there's no speaking in tongues, then you're not really a Christian. Friends, there, there are churches that teach that. The Pentecostal church, for the mo- a lot of them do that. And so we must be, again, we're, we must be aware of that. Again, like the Bereans, we must search the scriptures ourselves to see whether that is true and that is not true. If you remember earlier in our study of the book of Acts, we talked about prescriptive and descriptive. Descriptive meaning describing events that happened where prescripted were commands that we were to follow. Verse 6 is not a command. It is not telling us that, hey, if you're going to be in Christ, tongues must follow. It's not what it's saying at all. This is describing something that happened in the life of the early church. It's not saying that this has to happen. Now, at the same time, let me be clear that can tongues still happen? I still think that God can occasionally give people the ability to do this today. But I think it's rare as we look in the scripture that there is a time, in fact, after this particular instance, there's no other mention of tongues in the book of Acts. Right? Again, remember what we talked about early on when we were dealing with this subject is that the miracle, in this case, tongues, it's about the message. Again, tongues, sometimes what it does is it takes away from the message, the saving message of the gospel. 
We get so focused on the experience, we forget the most important thing. It's not whether or not you spoke in tongues as a sign of you know Jesus, as some would say. The word, the prophesying that we see here, this simply is referring to speaking forth God's word, teaching. And so just for clarity's sake, I, I wanted to point that out to you. And friends, we, again, this can be an example of boldness because sooner or later as we're befriending people and as we're talking to people and we get to know people, sooner or later we're going to have differences when it comes about things that we believe. And it's not about us being right or wrong because I think when we all appear before the throne of God, we will all see that we are not right on everything. There's an element of mystery when it comes to God. We don't know everything. And so there should be humility in, in us, a, a teachable spirit. But it's clear when it comes to matters of salvation, uh, when it comes to certain matters concerning the spirit that God has made abundantly clear to us, and we must uh, hold fast to that and not be concerned with what others say. We, we must have conviction about what we believe in. Not just because it's popular, not just because it's trending and it's the fad of the day. We believe what we believe concerning God because it's been revealed to us in the scripture. Because if our boldness is tied to anything else, we will waver. We will not hold fast. There will, doubt will creep in, will wander. And yet we see this not in the life of Paul. When he faced opposition, when people challenged what he believed, he held fast to the truth. And it helped him in his sharing of the gospel. And the result of this is 12 new disciples, 12 new followers of Christ. Spiritual boldness helps us with our sharing of the gospel. Then in getting in verse 9, we, we see how spiritual boldness, it really helps us persevere in preparing others for the gospel. Because we know, as I've already stated, that when we share God's word faithfully with others, not everybody's going to be excited about it. And we get a good, some good contrast here. If we, if, if we look at the end of verse 18, and then we look at beginning of 19, and then we look at the end, this middle section of 19. Remember last week, uh, Apollos, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers, pulled this brilliant scholarly man aside and said, hey man, you're off a little bit about what you believe concerning baptism. And it's, Apollos believed, and he was better for it. It's a great example of how to respond. We see this again with the Ephesian elders. We don't get all the details of the conversation, but we know how the end result of Paul faithfully and boldly proclaiming the truth of the word. It says that they were baptized and they followed Jesus. Again, another example of how we can respond. This is, is this not how we want people to respond, right? 
when, when we share the gospel and when we share his word, this is what we want. We want people to turn. We want people to change. And this is, this is, it, this is what we're after. And we should be after that. We should pray for that. But this is not always going to be the end result of faithful proclamation of his word. We get another reminder of that. It says, but, it's a contrast. We just had this great experience. Now we're having one that seems to be negative. And again, just remember, it's always a win to share God's word. No matter how people will respond or not. So keep doing it. But in verse 9, it says, When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking of the way, that means being a Christian, before the congregation, Paul, he withdrew from them and took his disciples, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, this is probably a a location, a, a place where students would gather to study and in looking at this and just looking at resources outside of Scripture just to better understand what the school of Tyrannus might have been, uh, it's interesting. It says that they would gather here in this hall to study. And it says in verse 10 again that we've already highlighted several times now. They continued for ministry for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. What did this look like? I want to share with you one possible way that this might have looked. I can't say this is for sure, but this is very probable. Uh, in an earlier just manuscript, uh, just of, not of the, of the Bible, just of, of church history, it suggests that Paul's teaching in the hall of Tyrannus, it took place between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Now, why is that? Most of the time at schools, uh, it was typical for Greek schools to be in session during the morning hours because it was cooler. And they would vacate in the afternoon times because it would get hotter. Makes sense. Like if we were in Texas and we were reduced to having to teach outside, I said, I wouldn't probably want to show up to too many early afternoon sessions. Probably not at all. Uh, because of the heat. And so what we see here uh, that's suggested is that Paul, they trained between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. while the rest of the community uh, would enjoy a midday siesta. That's just a fancy way of saying nap. And so this was customary to happen in, in times like this. They would go to school and learn from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And, man, if you're a kid and you've been in school or a college student or just been in school, when you've been learning for a couple hours, like, I don't know about you, but nap sounds pretty good. I would have fit in really well with this society. And so what would happen, most likely, how it would work with Paul, Paul would probably spend his morning hours doing his tent making. And then when... Uh, the Greek school let out, they would slide in and they would begin to teach uh, probably from the time of 11 to 4 p.m., somewhere in that window. And, and that's what they did. And then as, as I was reading that, uh, somebody did the due diligence and factored up 
if this was the case, and this was a scenario in the scene in which Paul was doing his teaching, he would have, and if he would have taught for five hours every day for two years, that would have been uh, um, the amount between 1,500 and 18 hours of teaching, which is an incredible amount of teaching. And what was the result of all these guys gathering together of that? We, we see at the end of verse 10 that all of Asia heard. Men who received this training, it, it was probably people like Epaphras that we read about who would go on to establish churches in places like Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis that we can read about in Colossians and 1 in Colossians 4. And it's very likely also that the churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 were started at around a similar time. All this training, all this committing, persevering, think about it, when the rest of the community was asleep, when the culture was asleep, people were gathering together to study. probably in the heat of the day at times. And they committed to do it, even though it may not have been always comfortable or inconvenient. They, they decided to do it. I have to imagine that Paul, he had to be tired. And yet he continued to faithfully teach. And friends, there's a boldness that comes with persevering and continuing a boldness that we have to fight within, with this within ourselves when our spirits are, are weak and we want to quit or we want to stop or we want to take shortcuts. And yet we see Paul committed and submitted to this plan of discipleship. And so were his students. And the result of that is many churches planted. And the result of that is all of Asia, its residents hearing. That's God's plan for the church. This is how he people hear through his people, through the church. And how are these churches birthed through discipleship? This wasn't, think how all this started. It started with a conversation. Two questions. An investment of time over several years, and the result of this was God's people, was God's people going in all of Asia in that time, in that region, hearing. What a remarkable account we have before us. And friends, this is exactly, I think, what God would have for us to remember. Again, we know our context is much different, that we know that we're not the only church here. There are many churches here, and we rejoice. And we will rejoice when God plants more churches here because there's more people a part of the team, more people sharing the gospel, more people having the opportunity to hear and to respond to be a part of God's plan, and we should rejoice in that. But to bring it back home for us personally, I, I want us to take time 
not just here, but as we leave here and as we go through this week and as we enter in again to the battlefield that lays before us, as we engage and talk with people, that we would think about our own spiritual boldness or perhaps lack thereof. And I want to just give you a couple things to consider and keep in mind and take away as we leave here tonight kind of using the ACTS model of prayer, if you may be familiar with that, the ACTS model of prayer. It's an acronym, and every letter stands for something. The A stands for adoration. The C stands for confession. The T stands for thanksgiving. And the S stands for supplication. So let's start with A, adoration, concerning spiritual bonus. One, just remember this. Praise God that he rules and reigns over all things that he is powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's everywhere. This knowledge in and it of itself ought to give you and I boldness. It should. When we think on the character and nature of God and who he is, that he is on our side, that he has deposited his spirit in us, that's, we should have boldness. We should. Right? It's not like some people got boldness and other people didn't. Again, boldness just isn't a personality trait. It's not even in our tone. It can be in what we say. And what we speak, say as God's people is the truth. The truth concerning sin, the truth concerning Christ, the truth concerning what it means when you reject Christ. And if we're faithful to do that, that won't win us many friends. But we're not here to be popular. We're not here necessarily to make a bunch of friends, that we should be friendly. Again, this is not an excuse. Being bold is not an excuse to be a jerk, to be obnoxious, to be rude. Because that will turn people away. No, it's our love that compels us to go. It's our love that compels us to share. It's our love that continues to help us to persevere with others. And all of this is given to us from God. And so we should praise him for that. The, the boldness that he's called us to walk in, he supplied it. And so we praise him for that. So praise God that he's given that to us. Two, confession. Confess to God where you are lacking in boldness. Again, thinking about the definition that I shared with you, it's a compelling conviction, a compassionate communication, a, a willingness to continue to choose Christ no matter the cost, and confess to God where you've not been bold, where you've lacked conviction, where you've lacked compassion, where you have doubt where you make excuses. Will you give in to your self-preserving spirit? 
where you're concerned more with what others think or are going to say when you tell the truth to someone else. Your complacent spirit that you might have. Maybe you've shared the gospel many times over and you've yet to see somebody respond in the way that we all want to see people respond. Keep sharing. Keep telling. Three, thanksgiving. As God shows us and as we confess to him our areas, we're not bold or complacent or cold. Thank God that he forgives. Thank God that he restores and that he will recommission you to do his gospel work. Case study for us all, Peter. Right? Peter was the man, he he was bold, right? He was ready to tell Jesus, correct Jesus. That wasn't bold, that was dumb. Right, but around the fire after Jesus was arrested, he couldn't even stand up to a young person. And yet after coming to Christ and being restored to to Jesus after that breakfast on the beach in John 21, this man went on to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. It's a man who got forgiveness, who understood grace, and it moved him compelled him to go. He had an unwavering conviction, compassion to tell others. And three, supplication. Making requests to God. Pray, God, help me be bold. God, give me compassion. Give me urgency. Lord, Give me opportunities. Pray for those things. And as you pray, those are prayers I believe that God wants to answer. Those are prayers that he wants us to pray. And as we pray them, I believe in his timing, he will answer them. We just need to be aware. Like Paul was, comes into Ephesus, sees 12 guys He talks. And so as you're praying for opportunities, when you see people, open your mouth and let God do the rest. Praise be to God that he has supplied everything we need to be faithful to him. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you again for your word. We thank you for this time. Lord, in the time where it could be easy for us to Use this time in it to be routine. Lord, we know at the end of every sermon, Lord, we stand up and we sing. And then we'll leave here. And Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. But I pray, Lord, that we would not let our pattern and how we do things in this service keep us from coming and responding to you. Lord, if you have shown us something this evening from your word, by your spirit, I pray, Lord, we would respond to you. God, we would have joy because you're speaking and working, making us more like your son. Help us here this evening to respond 
to submit to you. We love you in Christ's name, amen. Again, if you're here this evening without Christ, my plea, my call for you is to turn to Christ, is to put your faith and trust in him. And you do that believing again in Jesus and who he is, God's son, the sacrifice for our sin who took our place, who took on God's wrath and God was pleased with his sacrifice and he, was, he, was, he died and he rose again. Again, just as the Philippian jailer said in Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I say that week after week after week. And you may say, why do you do that week after week after week? I get it. I hear it. Right? But just because you say you believe doesn't mean you belong. We, we, we see that in this text. And I don't do that to cause you any doubt. I do that because I care, because I want you to consider God's word, whether you know him or not, because it's that important. So I encourage you to respond to God as he speaks to you.